Well, I was, the, the prayer was beautiful, Greg. And the song, for those who are online, was With You by Elevation Worship. And the last, the, well, one of the main, what do you call it, verses, lyrics, lyrics, is um, let all that I am be consumed with who you are. May the, oh, the glory of your presence, what more could I ask for? And I, I, that song, I've just been listening to that song all week long. And as we were singing it, I mean, the glory of, I mean, can you, I just made me think of Paul, who was Saul at the time when he saw Jesus, you know, the immortal, resurrected Jesus. <laughs> I mean, I could just imagine that he pondered that so much, you know, let all that you are. Let all that I am be consumed with who you are. The glory of your presence, the light, the glory. And we're going to talk about the light. Um, it's all that I ask for. And that's how he could say, I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. Right? Because that, the glory of his presence, you know, he was consumed with all that Jesus was. All the, all the, the whole life. Mm. You got anything to add to that? Yep. Okay, so I have been in, this is, I think today is really going to tie in with the last two um, times that Greg preached on justification and um, Paul and Saul and all of that, um, and the blindness, and um, he titled today's message, Now I See, and so it's going to be kind of on the recovery of sight, and how can you see unless there's light? So I, I have been stuck in the first three chapters of Genesis this pretty much this whole week and of course right in the beginning and I, I actually made a post about this um, earlier this week of course I didn't get a lot of likes or anything on it so I'm not really feeling justified um, <laughs> Matt didn't even thumbs up Matt didn't even see I'm really kidding. You know, I'm, I'm kidding. But uh, Matt didn't. Oh, Sarah liked it. She, she put a heart on it. Thank you, Sarah. Um, <laughs> I almost feel like Matt didn't see it. I just told him about it this morning in the car on the way here. And so, like, if he sees it and puts a heart on it, then he shares it. And then I get a million, you know, or Greg, you know. <laughs> so I don't know if you didn't see it, but you need to go on there and put a heart on it. Anyway. <laughs> So I can feel, no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Um, so it's talking about the very first thing that God brought forth. I mean, it's right there in the beginning of Genesis. It's the first couple of verses. So in the beginning, I'm just going to read it. In the beginning, we see the very first thing God called forth over the darkness was his very self, his life, his word, his light. He is light. In John 1, I'm going to read that before Genesis 1. John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. 
back to Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> and there was light. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> and God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness, and God called the light day and the darkness night. That was the first day. So remember, it wasn't until the fourth day that the sun, the moon, and the stars were created. So this is a different light. This is the light of his life. This is himself. He called forth the light before anything else, before the seas, before the dry land, before the grass, the fruit-bearing trees, the fish, the birds, the beasts, and before man. So doesn't it just make sense that when we find ourselves in any kind of darkness, and we can equate that to death, to seek first, remind ourselves, be in remembrance of fellowship with the first and only thing that has the power to separate us from that darkness. And that would be the light. Mm -hmm. John 8, 12. Again, therefore, Jesus spake to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who is following me shall not walk in darkness, but he shall have the light of life. Um, the word dayspring happened to pop up in a couple verses, and I looked it up, and it is a noun. And it says, the beginning of day, dawn. The beginning of a new era or order of things. That new era or order of things was always in God's mind and heart, right? Yeah. In the light, through the light, through Jesus, through the light of his life, him being the life. And then when Jesus resurrected, I was thinking, you know, we think about Jesus being resurrected. Isn't that the new order of things that we are now in? Yeah. When I think of Jesus as the light or the first day or the day spring or dawn in some verses or the day star, it sure brings a whole new meaning to the verse we all know. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. The day is the light. Mm -hmm. He is the light. This is the day. We, we live and move and have our being in him, right? Today. Today. There's a couple more verses. Through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. That's Luke 1, 78 and 79. Proverbs 4, 18. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. 2 Peter 1. We have also, that's verse 19, a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well, that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Mm. The light's pretty important. <laughs> and we need light to see. And we need to see where our, what that light means. That's our life in Christ. He is our life.
So, a couple of days ago, I wasn't feeling like I was experiencing the light <laughs> or the life I think I should have or experiencing even my father, God, as I have in sometimes past. I mean, you just, just ever have one of those days? I mean, I don't want those days anymore, <laughs> but they happen. And um, I started thinking about, like, like, I felt the presence of God and my father more when I was single, not married, than when I'm married and that I mean that's not true all of the time but I mean that's just kind of where my mind went I think it was just the enemy but um and so what when that happens <laughs> when that happens I'm not and I'm thinking thoughts like I don't feel as close to you or I'm not experiencing what I think I need right now from you what happens I usually put my eyes on myself or I put them on somebody else. And who are you going to put them on? You know, the one usually that's closest to you if you're married. And so then I start looking at Matt and I'm thinking, you need to do something to justify what I'm feeling here, what I like. You need to do something because I'm lacking. And um, he doesn't always know this. Sometimes they're just thoughts I'm having in my head. And, you know, we, we just think them. <laughs> and they say, what's wrong? And we say, nothing. You know. <laughs> But I was telling them you in the car. Nothing, nothing. 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 But then you're supposed to say, oh, come on. You're supposed to pull it out of us. <laughs> Pressure. No, just kidding. Um, that's what we think. Anyway, we were in the car. It was Friday. It was before ladies' Bible study. And I'm feeling, I don't know, can I say the word crappy? Just feeling, just feeling like nothing's going on inside you know empty and I said you know I'm feeling this separation I felt closer to God when I wasn't married <laughs> and he knew that I didn't mean that that I didn't want to be married to him because I love being married to you <laughs> he knew that thank God he knows that otherwise the whole conversation could have went in a very different direction he knew what I was talking about and I said I said it's kind of like um, <laughs> it was kind of like what, what's kind of, I feel happening is exactly what God said to Eve, you know, that her the desire, you know, cause I'm looking to you for life. I was looking to him, um, that the, your desire shall be unto thy husband and he shall rule over thee. And so, and what did you say? Do you remember what you said? I said, what makes you think he was, why do, or I said, why do we assume he was referring to Adam? I mean, that's pretty big. I mean, I got it right away. We think it's talking about our physical husbands here that we have. But the husband they were married to, both of them, after they ate from the wrong wisdom, was death. So is death that was trying to take hold of me and bring me into a bondage. And so I had to get, and that was like the, and just him saying that, like brought the light. 
it brought forth light. And I, you know, I saw I wasn't looking at the only one who could bring forth what I need to justify myself, to justify me, to, to take care of whatever lack was going on inside of me. You know, my father's never changed. He never changes. He is my husband. And so, you know, when I'm feeling like that, it's, it's not that he's changed. He's no different from when I was single or married. <laughs> he's the same. And um, that just brought so much peace. And like whatever I was feeling left. And I went to the ladies' Bible study. Of course, they heard me share some of this. And it was beautiful. <laughs> it was just such a, I felt so full of, of God and his life inside of me. I've got more, but, but um, you've got any? Okay, I'm just checking in with you. Yeah, I don't want to rule over you. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to laugh right well i think i will jump in right okay here. this is uh, probably a good thing the, the, this is this is different than what we get normally on a sunday morning uh you know we're not coming up here presenting some word as being the authority what what we are looking to do here is just let God rise up and be God. And so Greg talked about, you know, well, maybe we can do a table talk. And we're like, well, we'll do it. We'll just do, how about a table for two? And let let you guys come into the place where we live, where we're always just bouncing this stuff off of each other. Mm -hmm. And one thing will trigger something else and trigger something else. And, and and something you hear today might trigger something in you. And if you feel like you need to share it, come on up. I'll hand you the microphone. But uh, but I, I, on purpose, we didn't plan notes or an agenda or anything. We talked a little bit yesterday to kind of see if we were on the same page. And once we established the page, it's like, okay. And, and we just we didn't really spend any time together the rest of the day yesterday. No, we we just, didn't. I'm off fellowshipping with God, communicating with God. She's off fellowshipping with God, communicating with God. Because we knew that we could come together and the same God that sits out on our patio with us and the same God that rides with us in the car is the same God that's here right now. That's right. And, you know, and he'll bring out what needs to be brought out. Um, there, there's a lot of things in her. All right. And it, it ain't all going to come out. So what's going to come out? Well, we'll just trust God to bring that thing out. And a lot of time what comes out is actually more dependent on you guys because it's going to, there'll be a vacuum, a need, a hunger, and God will rise up and he'll meet that thing through, you know, and, and he uses the body to do that. Um, <laughs> I remember th this happened just recently. Annette came and shared something with me, and it was like, you know, you, last time Annette preached, she talked about revelation and how it means apocalypto. So we like to we like to bounce revelation off of each other. This is what I'm seeing. This is what I'm seeing. Boom, 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 boom. And she come and shared something with me, and it was like, wow. And then when I'm by myself with God, I kind of grumbled a little bit. I'm like, because, you know, it almost gets to a place where there's a competition built up, right? And I'm like, why didn't you show that to me? And you know what he said? 
He said, I just did. Because ah. <laughs> we're one. So, so you, even though you might hear something come out of my mouth, and you know, that's just Matt. Well, it might be God, but that's up to you to decide <laughs> as far as it being a word spoken to you. But uh, when I said I'll just go ahead and jump in because I looked at a verse this morning and I saw it in a way that I'd never seen it before. And it, but it absolutely matches what you were just talking about because all of a sudden you, you had this feeling of lack and that lack was confusing. Mm -hmm. And so with that lack being confusing, it can cause you to start making wrong conclusions. Right. You must, I, I, this, I feel this lack, something's wrong. Well, why does something have to be wrong just because you're feeling lack? There's nothing wrong in the life of the Father. True. But the verse I ran across, and True. it's interesting. You know, um, there's a verse that talks about how grace teaches us. All right, so we know that grace is a teacher. We know that grace, and, and what a teacher does, a teacher will bring instruction. So the verse that I found, it was, I just saw it in a way that I never had before. He said, finally, brother, what, those things Okay, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care for me has flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. All right, that seems pretty obvious what he's saying here. You know, I, 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 know, I know how to, how to access the life of God, whether I'm in a place of abounding or whether I'm in a place of abasing. But it gets interesting after this. He says, and in all things I am instructed to be both full and hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I'm instructed to do these things. Mm -hmm. Well, we know grace is the teacher. We know the Holy Spirit is the spirit of grace. So when he comes with instruction, the instruction he brings is going to instruct you to both abase and abound, to be hungry and to be full. You can get hung up on one side or the other and totally miss what's going on. You, the carnal reasoning is, oh, it's such a nasty thing. Right. You know, you'll hear, Jesus said, any man that drinks of the water that I give will never thirst again. Right. And then you'll see somebody singing out of their heart, God, I thirst for you. And somebody will pipe, no, Jesus said, if you drink of this water, you won't thirst no more. <laughs> Well, excuse me, Jesus is hanging on the cross. He said, I thirst. Yeah, true. So quit straining at a gnat and swallowing a camel. <laughs> but how many of you think Jesus drank of that water? Absolutely he did. 
but yet he said, I thirst. But there was something in him teaching him how to be both ways. And that's the position we're in as a branch. Hmm. Without him, I can do nothing. And it's instructing me to a base that grace comes and it instructs, it teaches me that there is no sufficiency of myself. But where do I abound? I can abound through his life in me, bringing forth fruit. Paul said, I pray that your love would abound yet more and more. Well, it's not up to me to abound. But the fruit will come forth from the life that I've tapped into, and that will abound. But at the same time, I'm recognizing I didn't produce that of myself. Right. So it's taught me. I have, it, I have learned both to abase and abound. And where do you find that instruction? Where do you see how that operates? He goes on with the verse that a lot of people, you know, we're all familiar with this verse. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Anything that I have to do, I can do through the wisdom of God. Christ, both the wisdom and the power of God. So you in that situation, see, we're just bouncing now. We haven't talked about this. Yeah. You, were, you were seeing an abasement and an aboundment. Yeah. But the carnal mind wants to step up and, and say that that's confusing. It wants to say there's something wrong. It wants you to judge it according to the knowledge of good and evil. Right. Yeah, it was just like if, if, you, if you don't feel peace, it doesn't mean peace isn't present. You know, if you don't feel joy, it doesn't mean joy isn't present. Is God always present? Yes, inside of us. So I get it. I get, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. So if I'm not feeling peace... I recognize, first off, I know that I, peace is good, right? Yeah. I like peace. Yeah. So, it can come and tell me something's wrong if circumstances are pressing in on me, but yet, at the same time, what that feeling does is it just reminds me that I can't bring that forth of myself. Right. That's what it's pointing to. Mm -hmm. There's signs that are pointing to things. Yeah. And we can get this, we can get things all confused. And God understands that we can get things confused. All right? So kind of where I saw us going this morning, I'm picturing someone who was born blind. They've never seen anything. And all of a sudden, their eyes popped open and they can see. It, it, it's like it takes time to sit down and use your imagination to actually walk through what that thing could be like. Hmm. I mean, you take somebody that's been blind all their life, they have probably become accustomed to what a chair is by feeling around. But all of a sudden, their eyes are popped open, and they can see. 
but they don't know what they're seeing. You see that that that's a chair. That's a chair. That's a clock. That's a woman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Go back and listen to the meeting we did Wednesday night. Gwen brought out some stuff that was just oh my god, it was so good. She's talking about changing your point of reference. Yeah. But what do you do when your eyes pop open and everything that was your point of reference has turned out to be not what you thought it was? Hmm. So now I can't trust what I thought, and I've got something I'm looking at, and I can't really even trust what it is I see because I don't know what it is I'm seeing. Kind of like Saul. Yeah. It kind of blew him away. I mean, can can you imagine? Let's let's say the person whose eyes got popped up. Let's say it was <coughs> it was an outdoor miracle service with the tents and all this kind of stuff. And he boom, your eyes are popped open, and the first thing you see is a car sitting over there with light shining at you. What in the world are you going to think about that? There's all kind of things that could. I mean, you don't know. You don't have a you don't have anything to reference. But because God understands that, He came and He gave us the reference. Yeah. He came. He gave us Jesus. Jesus said, "For judgment have I come into the world, that those that see might be made blind, and that those that are blind might see." Mm. So if Jesus came into the world for judgment, then I don't have to be busy judging. All I have to do is go to him. Because your judgment will bring you to conclusions, right? Mm-hmm. Well, what's the conclusion? Conclusion is the end of the matter, right? Well, Jesus said he is Alpha and Omega. He's the conclusion. So if I want to know the conclusion, I need to go look at him. I need to go let him discern. Because I'll read you something. Do you want to jump in? No, no, go. Okay. There's a passage of Scripture that will kind of point out what I'm saying in Zechariah chapter 4. And the angel that talked with me came again. And waked me as a man that is wakened out of his sleep. And said unto me, What seest thou? And I said, I have looked, and behold, a candlestick, all of gold, with a bowl upon the top of it, and seven lamps thereon, and seven pipes to the seven lamps, which are upon the top thereof, and two olive trees by it, one upon the right side of the bowl and another upon the left side thereof. And so I answered, and I spake to the angel that talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? All right, so he just gave a pretty good description of what he was seeing, right? But he was smart enough to not make a conclusion about what he saw. What are these, Lord? Then the angel that talked with me answered and said unto me, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. 
And then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who art thou, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? Thou shalt become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying, Grace, grace unto it. Now, when I was reading the description of the candlestick and the bowl and the olive trees, how many of you come to the conclusion, this is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit? Mm -mm. I didn't, but yet something showed up. That it, my point is, when your eyes pop open, you don't know what you're seeing. So you're not left to come up with your own judgments. I'll tell you a story. This was um, many years ago. And there was a friend of mine that was going to be hosting a guest minister in. And this particular fella, he had a notoriety of of having like just wild, crazy miracles show up. And I had heard, I'd heard the guy preach a few times. This guy could tell a story like, I mean, he just had this way about him that could captivate you and just suck you into what he's saying, right? And, but beyond that, I didn't really know much about the guy other than his reputation, and his reputation was kind of exciting. And my friend was going to have him in there, and so uh, I, w I was excited about it. It was a it was in a place that was a pretty good drive away from me. But I'm going to go to this meeting, and uh, and when I heard about it, and then there came a night shortly after that where I had a dream, and in this dream, the man that I'm talking about, he was standing there. He was in that church. And all of a sudden, he quit preaching. He walked outside. He took a ladder and set it up against the side of the building, climbed up the ladder, and started putting a roof on the church. Okay, God doesn't talk to me in Spanish. He talks to me in a language that I understand. All right, so when he gives me this dream with those symbols, he knows that those things mean something to me, so that's how he's going to communicate with me. Now, that might not mean nothing to you, just like the gold lampstands didn't mean nothing to you as far as the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, <laughs> all right? <laughs> but it meant something to somebody. All right, he's talking to me in a language that he knows I'll understand. So when I see this, I'm picturing, uh, uh, I'm picturing a church being built on a foundation, and they've got the walls up, and all of a sudden this guy starts putting a roof, and I'm thinking, what in the world have they got going on up here that they're already ready to put a roof on this place? I'm excited. I'm thinking great and wonderful things are about to happen because I saw what I saw. About three weeks later, I'm in the car. I'm driving to this place. It's about a 12-hour about a drive to get there. And the Lord starts ministering to me concerning false signs and wonders. 
and he, he showed me how, how these things can enter in and what it is that, that will allow people to fall for the seduction of them. Thessalonians talks about it's because they refuse to receive the love of the truth. Hmm. All right. So I'm, I'm thinking on these things as he's ministering to me, on my way to the meeting, excited about the meeting. And all of a sudden, the Lord brought that dream back to me. And he said, you've got this thing totally wrong. All right, I've got it totally wrong. But I had the dream. I saw what I saw. But what I saw... I made an interpretation. And the Lord said, no, what I was showing you in that dream was, if these people keep, keep buying into that guy's ministry, it's going to put a ceiling on what I'm trying to do there, and they're not going to go any higher. Hmm. Now, you see how you could come away with the same two different conclusions over seeing the same thing? Yeah. So what do you do when you get a revelation? Ask God what you're seeing. Yeah. <laughs> you got to go get go to him, find out what's going on. What do, well, yeah, what me. meaneth this? I mean Ezekiel got it right. I mean the angel showed Ezekiel and he showed the dry bones. He said, "You think I can make these live again?" Ezekiel said, "Thou knowest, Lord." <laughs> <laughs> I don't know nothing. But that, I'm in that position now where I'm both abased and abounding. Mm. I can go, and that's, that's what it means to be poor in spirit, mm -hmm. is that constant recognition that without Jesus, I can't do anything. I can't see right. I can't. Oh, man, even, even what happened, you're talking about Saul of Tarsus and his conversion. Mm -hmm. He said he went off into the desert for, what was it, 13 years? What was going on during those 13 years? He was trying to learn what it was he was seeing because he was seeing something. Yeah. So just because your eyes have been popped open and you see, what meaneth this? Because what can happen is... Based on the old way of thinking, you will try to apply that to the truth that you're actually seeing. And you'll come away with some erroneous conclusions. And churches are full of them. That's why, that's why you, people are tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. Because there's a bunch of winds of doctrine out there. And they'll all point to the verses. But what does the verse mean? Well, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Do I see this in Jesus? Do I see this conclusion in Jesus? He is the truth concerning all matters. So what I'm seeing, how does that line up with Jesus? Yeah. Because I can't even trust my own judgment. And the carnal mind don't like that. Because the carnal mind's totally dependent on its judgments because that's the way it was brought up. And now all of a sudden I've got to turn loose of that. That's what it means to lay down your life. That's what it means to take up your cross. 
You're going to lay down your opinions. You're going to lay down your judgments. You're going to lay down your thoughts because you know you can't trust them, and you're going to go to the one that you know that you can trust. That's the fear of the Lord. Why would I go anywhere else? He has the answers. You, know, you think about somebody. Have you ever heard of uh, some court proceeding that's going on, and it's a real complicated case? And somebody is going, I mean, if this thing goes wrong for the guy that's been convicted, he's going to die. I mean, this dude's headed for the electric chair. And have you ever thought, man, I wouldn't want to be on that jury. Or I wouldn't want to be the judge that had to hand down the mandatory sentence because I see something in his heart and he don't deserve to die. You wouldn't want to be in that position. You wouldn't want to be the judge. Well, the good news is, first off, it's right that you feel that way because it never was incumbent on you to make a judgment. Mm -hmm. All judgment has been made in Jesus. You can see the full. She read over in, in John 1, he talked about, and in him was life, and that life was the light of man. Talk about coming up with weird stuff. I used to read that verse and I thought it was, I'm, I'm picturing this ethereal thing where where in my spirit, man, I'm lit up. But that does, I mean, that, that sounds kind of spectacular. And if you've got an itching ear, I could probably pull you in with something like that. But how does that line up with what I see in Jesus? How does that line up in a congruency of the spirit of prophecy? What well, you can understand there when you when you when you consider those things prayerfully, the Holy Ghost is a teacher. He'll get involved with this. I'm not left to my own devices. All right. But now, when I look at that, what I see is His life is the light of every man. His life causes every man to show up. In His life, I can see the truth about every man. He brings me to a place where I can discern that. So now I don't have to know good and evil, because good and evil can fool me as far as the knowledge of it. But Paul talked about, well, the writer of Hebrews talks about, the word of righteousness who by reason of use, strong meat belongs to those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So it's not a matter of operating from the knowledge of it, but I can discern what's good and I can discern what's evil. And I can see in, in any judgment that I would come to concerning that, I've got to set that next to the judgment of God. And Jesus is the judgment of God. And how does that set up? For judgment, I am come into the world. Later on in the epistles, Paul would say, it's been dealt to every man the measure of faith. Well, I used to think, well, that meant God gave you a little bit of faith, and he gave you a little bit of faith, and he gave you a little bit of faith. Everybody's got to say, it's probably just a mustard seed. 
That's all he gave you was just a mustard seed. Now it's up to you to grow the thing up. Yeah. No, when he says he's dealt to every man the measure of faith, he gave him Jesus. He gave Measuring. you a faith that you could measure by. Mm -hmm. So that you don't have to come to your own conclusions. Mm -hmm. The faith of the Son of the God. The faith of the Son of God. That's been given to us. I think Greg put the uh, the picture up concerning this message. He put for the verse for we walk by faith and not by sight. If I come to a place where I can't trust my sight, I let faith become my sight. Mm. Well, <laughs> go go watch the message Greg did. I can see clearly now that the death is gone. And like I said. Your eyes could be popped open. But even then, it has to be unpacked. There's, there's things that, that God spoke to me years ago. I'm still unpacking. And there's been several times in the middle of that unpacking that I thought I had a conclusion. And he's like, no, you're not seeing it all yet. You're not seeing it all yet. But yet, people want to jump up and grab a microphone and start hollering stuff because they've come to their own conclusions based on what they think they see in the Scriptures. And the Apostle Paul comes along and he says, Let him that teacheth wait on teaching. There's too many people out there just throwing stuff out based on their erroneous conclusions without ever looking to Jesus. Right. I remember this one guy, bless his heart, it, the scriptures talk about judge not, lest you be judged, right? And he, and he knew the the performance based religion kind of thing had 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 painted this picture of well, if you judge other people, that means God's going to judge you. And all of a sudden, he got a light, and he saw that that couldn't be what it was saying. So because he saw that wasn't what he's saying, he starts trying to figure out what it is saying. And he came up with the conclusion, well, no, that's not what that's saying. Because seed time and harvest would say that if I don't judge you, then I'm not going to reap a harvest of you judging me. Sounds kind of reasonable, doesn't it? So did the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It looked good for food. Mm -hmm. Well, the problem with that conclusion, I mean, I, I, can, I can understand how he came to that spot. But the problem with that conclusion is how did that work out for Jesus? Hmm. Jesus wasn't judging nobody, and buddy, they were judging him big time. Mm -hmm. So he was reaping something he didn't sow. So your conclusion doesn't hold up when I stand it next to Jesus. That's good. I kind of got stuck on Paul being in the desert for 13 years. He was literally in the desert, right? So 13 years. I mean, it's almost like he, like, he went out there and spent 13 years to learn how to lay down his life, right? To be consumed 
with all Christ is. 13 years. I mean, he must have known Jesus went out there for 30 days. He's like, no, I'm going to do 13 years. I'm gonna, <laughs> it took 13 years to get rid of all that and realize the life he now lived. It was, it was pretty, I don't know, it was just, I just, I just, I couldn't shake it. You said that, and I was like, boom, there, just picturing him there for 13 years. It's like Abraham, he. Laying it all down, his whole way of life that he knew. Abraham got a word from God, and he came to a conclusion, okay, I'm going to go make this thing come to pass, because God says I'm going to be the father of many nations, right? And along shows of Ishmael, and God had, no, this ain't the child of promise. So what did he do? He waited, what was it, 20 more years? Yeah, something like that. Now all of a sudden, not only was Sarah dead, Abraham was dead. Now we're going to bring forth. Once your strength is gone. Once your strength is gone. And now that your strength is gone, now we're going to train you up into something else. Your eyes have been popped open. You can see clear. But now we've got to wipe away that old muscle memory hmm. and let a new one be established. Hmm. And the new one that's being established, that is the mind of Christ. Yeah. So that that becomes your go-to. Wednesday night, I, I mentioned what Gwen said. She's talking about your, it's a ch the renewing of the mind is like a changing of your point of reference. And I bring that up because so many times we will, well, I can't speak for everybody. I just speak for me. I would hear this deal about the renewing of the mind, and you've got to be, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so we were taught that that meant the acquisition of knowledge. We can pile up all this information, and, and it will renew our mind. And I was busy doing that for years and years and years and years, and I wasn't seeing no transformation. Hmm. So apparently that's not what he's talking about. But it was this thing that was just ongoing, and you never saw it accomplished in yourself and you never saw it accomplished in anybody else. It was just kind of this mystical whoop thing. But I believe that the Holy Spirit gets busy from the day you're born again and starts showing you the way to look to Jesus, looking unto Jesus, looking unto Jesus. He's always bringing you back to the faith, bringing you back to the faith. And what it is, you become skillful in the word of righteousness who by reason of use have their senses exercised. All right? You take somebody that exercise, 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 and they're doing it with the weights and whatever, there comes a place where it ain't a big deal to go pick up a 100-pound barbell. Right? Yeah. And it's the same way with the renewing of the mind. As you're exercised in these things, he brings you to a place where Jesus is just automatically your default. Mm -hmm. And this is something that is accomplished in us. It's not this thing that just, oh, it sounds good. We're going to pray this prayer. 
No, God is involved in this. And he wouldn't put that in front of you if he didn't intend to bring it to pass. God's not about the carrot. But yet so many things that the church world is involved in, it's all about this carrot that nobody ever acquires. <laughs> because they're coming from the carnal mind, and they're coming from carnal conclusions. And if you're busy feeding off of that, feeding off of that, feeding off of that, I was talking to a young man recently, and he's totally bought in. To what some of this stuff is coming out of motivation speakers and word of faith type things. And totally bought into if I do this, then this will happen, this and this will happen. But yet it's not really happening for him. And he goes to a place where, well, it must be my lack of character to where I'm not doing the things that I need to do in order for that to happen. And the thing that he misses is the very reason he's come to that conclusion is because that's what he's been feeding off of. That's what produced that thought in him. Mm -hmm. Because that thought didn't come from above. There's nothing peaceable about that. There's nothing that's easy to be entreated about that. That's not the wisdom from above. So then it has to be from somewhere else. And James says it's a devilish. Trying to find justification for his life yeah. in what he does. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I'm glad you explained that, um, how we were working this out, because I, I guess I was supposed to do that in the beginning. And you said we didn't take notes, but I did take, put down some notes. And it feels really weird not to have paper in front of me. So, but um, getting back to. Genesis, and that I've been in Genesis so much and reading that. I want to talk about the trees and the trees that God put in the garden for Adam and Eve to eat from. And they could have eaten from any of the trees, right? But they ate from the one that brought corruption, death, and bondage. In Genesis 1-2, God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food. <coughs> Excuse me. In Genesis 2-15, And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. Of every tree. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. So I was thinking about that tree. Of course, that wisdom being bondage and corruption and death. And I hopped over to Galatians to read the fruits of the Spirit. And I started in one and where um, he says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Be not entangled again with that knowledge of the tree of the good and evil, of good and evil, to try to justify your life to, in any way. Eating from the wisdom of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil looks like, 
looks like the way unto a life that can bring you justification, like, like Saul, right? But it is death, and it will bring corruption, and it will keep you in bondage, even just a little. I'm not sure where this is from, but you probably too do. <laughs> Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if ye be circumcised, oh, I think it's from Galatians, it's just the rest of it. If ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ is become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you who are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. And so that got me thinking about dough because I made pizza yesterday. And the recipe only called for a small amount of yeast where I would normally put a larger amount of yeast. And so I know that even though there's just a little bit of yeast, it's going to take longer, but eventually it's going to permeate the whole thing and it's going to rise. It's going to permeate the whole lump. Um, so you might think just a little bit, a little bit of leaven, a little bit of law, a little bit of justifying yourself, a little bit of you working yourself to try to obtain to the life that you think you should have. A little bit of justification. A little bit of your own judgment. A little bit of your own judgment. Won't hurt. But it will. And the results would be the fruit of death for, for a little while. You know, it might take a while. But like even just that little bit. But eventually it will permeate everything. Living your life with just adding a little bit of leaven, just a little mixture, just a little law, just a little justifying and what you can do to, to achieve or, um, to have that life that you need, that you think you need or that, you, that you're lacking to fill that lack or trying to please God and justifying your own flesh or looking to someone else to justify you and give you the life that you think that you need. When only God can serve us with that life and we see that life in the light of Christ, his resurrection. And we behold our lives in the light of his life in him. We have that same life. Anyway, getting back to that, adding just that little bit, and I said this in ladies' Bible study, just came out. Just that little bit is like inviting your ex-husband or spouse to live with you when you're already married to another. I mean, can you imagine that? It's like inviting, we're no longer married to death. We're no longer married to that former life, right? We've been crucified. And so it's like you're still bringing in that life mm -hmm. into the life you're married to God. He is our husband. Do you want to? Go from there a little bit, expound on that. Yeah, it's like I, I use this example quite a bit. You know, imagine, imagine Cinderella, Prince Charming, and 
they do what's in the story, you know, and they get married. They have their wedding night. The next morning, he wakes up, and he looks over to see Cinderella. She's not there. Wonder where she's at. He gets up and starts looking around, looking out the windows or whatever. And way down there by the river, there's this woman walking back up, and she's got the stick across her shoulders with a bucket of water hanging off of both ends. And here she comes up with the water. And she gets up there, and he's like, what are you doing? She said, well, I went down to the river to get the water that we're going to need for the day. And he's like, uh, we have people that do that for us. All right? She don't know that. She has been brought into his life, but she doesn't know how his life functions. There's a learning process. And in the learning process, the good news when it comes to the body of Christ, all we have to do is just sit and look at Jesus, the author and the finisher of the faith. He is the alpha, the beginning, the chief of all things. He is the omega. He is the conclusion of all matters. He is. And that's all we have to do. I was thinking about this recently, the when when Moses lifted up the bronze serpent on the pole in the wilderness, and everybody that had been bitten by snakes, they were instructed to just look at the serpent and put fix their gaze right there. They didn't have to figure out anything. All they had to do was gaze upon the serpent. That kind of sounds like Jesus in the parable of the sower sows the word. He said, and it grows up, he knows not how. You don't have to figure this stuff out. No. It's not, it's not even, that burden's not even on you. That's your carnal mind hollering at you. I got to figure this out. You don't have to figure it out. It will be, a, it, it's, figure, coming to the right conclusion is not incumbent upon you. That burden is not on you. All you have to do is look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of the faith, and what needs to be figured out and what needs to be worked out will be accomplished in you. And I don't know about you, but to me, that's good news because I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, mm -hmm. and I know that. You're pretty sharp. If you see any sharpness coming out of me, it's God. I know. I know. Seriously. I know. It's still pretty sharp. <laughs> you know, some people get, get tripped up sometimes when I say the Lord said this to me or the Lord said that. <laughs> I forgot. I totally just spaced where I was going with that. <laughs> Somebody said. It happens. Sharp. Not the sharpest tool in the shed. Oh, well, go ahead. Oh, well. I, I kind of uh, forgot where I left off. Uh, anyway, yeah, the Cinderella story. Yeah, she was she was she was so used to living that 
her Cinderella life where she did everything for everybody. That when and and then I guess that's the way for a, a lot of us. We were in whatever doctrine or you know whatever church you know belief system, and we were in that for so long. It's hard to you kind of bring that some of that in with you, yeah. but cast out the bond woman. <laughs> Isn't that what God said? You right? bring your erroneous conclusions with you. Yeah. Hmm. Wait, I have some more to read from Galatians. If, unless you, I mean, it's already 5 to 12. Go for it. Galatians 2.16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. We've been crucified with Christ to that life where we thought justification was found. You know, my notes were all, all kind of all over the place because now I'm back to Genesis. <laughs> now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. Genesis 3. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree in the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, the, the desire to be wise in your own eyes is always deadly, isn't it? She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he ate. And the eyes of them were both opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. So I got to thinking about this. And when we think of someone's eyes being open, we think it's a good thing. But not in this case. The eyes of Adam and Eve were both opened to what they were now married to, which was death. They actually became blind. Or you could say their blindness was now revealed because of what was in them. So that reminded me of what happened to Saul again. What was in him came out of him and manifested. His blindness was revealed, like Greg talked about. Je Jesus didn't make him blind. But for years I thought he did, but for some reason. Um, the life Paul had when he was Saul was born from the corrupt wisdom that made him think he was wise in his own eyes by what he did and had and had achieved. It looked like a life of justification like wisdom, but not God's wisdom. So you could say he was eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Mm -hmm. His whole life looked like something Eve thought to make one wise, but not. The temptation was the reason mm -hmm. unto life, and that's what they bit into. 
that they would reason unto love. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. But that was a lie. It was a lie. Somebody wrote a book about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was Maurice, everybody. <laughs> um, go ahead. Otherwise, I'm going to read some of Greg's notes from last week. Please. Okay. Because it all ties it together. <clears throat> so I'm just going to share um, Greg's notes, some of Greg's notes from last week. Because I, I really do think this all ties in together with the seeing and the blindness and all that. So when Paul was Saul, he, he was a Pharisee. Mm -hmm. Didn't Jesus say the Pharisees were blind, <laughs> blind guides? His mindset was that justification is about having the abundant life, but then he defined the abundant life by the riches of the world, by the things the world esteems for a good life. His treasure was in the earth. He served mammon. He thought if your life looked good in the world, then that is the life that justifies. He thought gaining the good the world has to offer was equivalent to godliness. And he thought the way to gain a good life from the world was by performing the works of the law, by being a Hebrew of the Hebrews, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, circumcised the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin. He thought anyone who didn't have a good life in the world, those people were the cursed of God. They were the forsaken of God, and they were the sinners. And that blinded him. Then something miraculous happens to Saul. He encounters the glorified Jesus on the road to Damascus, and his blindness is revealed. Jesus didn't make Saul blind, like we said. Jesus said in John 9, he came into the earth so those who don't see might see, and those who think they see would be revealed to be blind. It wasn't Jesus that made Saul blind. The blindness that was already present in Paul was made manifest in the light of Jesus' life. When Paul encountered the glorified Jesus, it wasn't just like, oh, I see a bright light. When he sees this great light, he hears Jesus say, and he hears Jesus say, it's Jesus whom you persecute? All of a sudden, Paul's mind is racing. All the, and getting back to that, you know, Jesus is saying, you. But but it's but it, he wasn't persecuting Jesus. He was persecuting all the people that believed in Jesus. But you know, Jesus, we are one with Jesus. So when he says it's Jesus whom you persecute, right? He took it personal. <laughs> so all of a sudden, Paul's mind is racing. All the things he'd ever done, or or known, all his doctrines. They're all racing in his mind because all of a sudden when Paul encounters the glorified man Jesus on the road to Damascus, he sees the life that justifies. He sees Jesus and now he has a point of reference for the good life, the abundant life that justifies. That's our point. He is our point of reference, mm. just like um, Gwen was saying in, in Bible study. He says to himself, oh my gosh, this is the real treasure, not the corruptible life that's in the world. 
You have to understand this wasn't Paul's only reference point for Jesus. He knew who Jesus was. He knew the end Jesus met on the cross, and he thought that was the sign Jesus was a sinner and ungodly. And so now he sees Jesus standing in the glorification of the Father's life, and he sees that's the life that justifies because it was even able to justify Jesus from the shame and the accusation from, that came from death on the cross. Mm. When Paul saw Jesus on the road to Damascus, he saw the mark God has for mankind in the light of the life standing before him. He saw we were always meant to be heirs of God, <clears throat> heirs of the likeness of God's immortality. And that's the only life that can justify you. That's the only life that can justify someone from the sin and death and the corruption that's in the world. That's the only life that can silence the voice of accusation and persuade someone that their life is as it ought to be. You know, it's interesting. Uh, the first thing that comes out of Saul of Tarsus's mouth after the vision, who art thou, Lord? I don't know who this is, but whoever it is, he's probably Lord. All right. But he saw something. He was smart enough to know he didn't understand what he was seeing because what he was seeing was totally contrary to his carnal mind. Because his carnal mind says, you can't walk like this man walked and wind up in the place that I see him. Because they wind up in the place like I see him, he's supposed to walk like me. Hmm. Coming to wrong conclusions. Coming to wrong conclusions. There's a lot of conclusions out there. The scriptures say there are many voices out there, and none of them without signification. So how do you know who's telling the truth? You know, it, it's one that, you know, we're, we're talking, talking to the people in this room, okay, we're, we're talking to people that, that have, a, have a foundation in them and they're established in some things. And you're coming to a place where you can be exercised to discern both good and evil. Mm -hmm. But what about somebody who just walked in the gym the first day? Something has to be set there for them. So... You're hearing all these different things from all these different places. How do you know who's telling the truth? Back where I came from, we would always say, no, I got, I got, to, I got to take it and see if it lines up with the Word of God. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, that meant something totally different to me back then than what it means to me today. Yeah. Because back then, I'd say, well, do I got a verse for it? I can give you a verse that will go along with a whole bunch of your erroneous conclusions. And you get sucked into it. But how about let's see if it lines up with the Word of God. The Word made flesh. The faith of the Son of God revealed in Christ crucified. Does it line up with that? Because there's a lot of, con there's a lot of conclusions, and we've talked about many of them here. One that pops into my mind is this, this deal about the Great Commission. Well, first off, the term the Great Commission never shows up in the Scriptures. 
But what they do is they go and they look at where Jesus said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. All right. He did say that. Mm -hmm. What I have learned is that the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ, the word of God, being the chief cornerstone. Mm -hmm. So if that's the foundation, I should be looking to those guys. Even if I don't understand what's, what Jesus is trying to get across, let's go look at the guys who walked with them and see what their conclusion was about what they saw in him. Now we know the we know the way that the church today has preached the so-called Great Commission, right? Do you see that in any of the apostolic letters? Do you see that in any of the sermons that are being preached in the book of Acts? There's about 20 sermons in the book of Acts. They don't go there. So then why do we go there? Why do we go there? Because we come up with this carnal conclusion. People ought to be witnessing, so let's go find verses that'll back up that thing. And the, and the whole thing has gotten twisted. It's gotten so twisted. Think about this. The modern evangelical church it's totally built around this idea of heaven and hell and the afterlife, right? That's the major focus of the whole thing, or at least any church that I was ever a part of coming up. That's the big deal. You're going to live forever. What's your address going to be? <laughs> that's kind of important, right? Or that's the way they would present it. Yeah. But let's, let's practice what I just preached. Let's go back to Jesus. And something interesting shows up when you go back and look at Jesus. At the resurrection, here's a dude that just got back from both heaven and hell. And nobody asked him about it. But yet we've made that the foundation that we're coming off of, something nobody even asked Jesus about, and he didn't talk about it. 20 sermons in the book of Acts, and they don't talk about it in those sermons. It's at the foundation of the church. And they didn't see it as something that ought to have an emphasis put on it, and yet that's been the main focus of the emphasis. Wow. So how do you know what you're being taught is true? By the measuring stick. You know, and the, the sad thing is I'm picturing someone who has been like, diagnosed with something terminal. And they're subject to the same temptation that's common to all men. The temptation that's common to man is for you to take up your own life and your own strength. That's the temptation that's common to man. That's sin. Mm -hmm. That's not faith. That's sin. Anything that's not a faith is sin. 
But you take somebody who's been diagnosed with something terminal, meaning that the world system has come along and it said, there's nothing we can do for you. But yet that temptation is still there. Well, what a temptation does, a temptation presses you to go and do something. So what would a terminal person do who knows he has no life and the world has nothing to offer me? So obviously i got to go to God. But yet I'm hearing all these different things from all these different people and all these different ideas when it comes to this kind of thing. How do I know who to believe? The scriptures talk about being tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. We don't have to be tossed. All we can do is look at Jesus. Mm -hmm. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. We've been talking about signs and wonders recently. And a sign is something that's pointing to something, right? That's the purpose of a sign is to point to something. And I'm thinking about the time when Jesus come walking out on the water. That's a pretty magnanimous sign and wonder, right? So it must be pointing to something pretty magnanimous. So we want to discern this. Let's go see what the apostles had to say about being in a storm. Let's go see what they wrote in the epistles about being tossed to and fro. Let's go see what the epistles say about wind and waves. And when you go digging through there, you know what you find every time? It's talking about doctrine. So the temptation that you're feeling with all this stuff coming at you, you think the temptation is the affirmity in your flesh. That's not the temptation. The temptation is for you to try to take something up in your own strength. Which scripture do I need to be quoting? Which way do I need to work the rabbit's foot to get God to do something for me? The temptation that has to be resisted in that is not the infirmity in your flesh. It's the temptation to be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Mm -hmm. The bell and whistle that somebody's putting in front of you doesn't line up with Jesus. And not only does it line up with Jesus, but does it line up with what the apostles said about Jesus? In the mouth of two or three witnesses, let a thing be established. Amen? Amen. Because everything that you're looking for, everything that you need, is found in looking unto Jesus. Right. For all of us. He is the light that God sent into the earth. Yes. He is the, it says all things were created by him and for him. That means he knows how they're supposed to operate. He knows how to bring it to pass. You are God's garden. Mm -hmm. Created for him. So we've said a bunch of somethings, and it's quarter after 12. So Yeah. Anybody got any thoughts or comments or add-ons? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it took 
It took two of us, though. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Well, glory Amen. to God. Thank you for being with us here today. Have a wonderful Labor Day. Yeah. So just remember, you, Do don't no need a, you don't need a holiday from the gospel. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Amen.